Today's episode is a little different from our normal podcast. It's actually part one of a two-part series on adoption I recorded with Julie Lowe and her husband, Greg. In this first part, we focused on Greg and Julie's story, how they chose to adopt, what it has been like, and so on. And even though Greg is going to be upset with me for saying this, you'll see why in a few minutes, I have to admit, it is really humbling and challenging to sit with people who have chosen to adopt six kids. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves. I'm a faculty member here at CCEF, and I direct the School of Biblical Counseling. And today I'm talking with my colleague, Julie Lowe, also a faculty member and counselor here at CCEF. And we have the special privilege of having her husband here in the office with us as well, Greg Lowe, who also counsels at CCEF. So we're a bunch of counselors here sitting together. And uh, what I wanted to um, do today is actually to... Uh, have a conversation with you guys a bit more personal. Often we we talk more sort of counseling topics. How do you help people? Today I just want to hear from you guys, particularly about your story of of adoption. You have spent a lot of time uh, thinking about adoption, doing adoption in your own life. Um, how how have you guys experienced the process of adoption? How many kids do you have? What has been the process for you? Where are you at now? Just uh, share a little bit if you would about your story of, of adoption. I'll start. Um, so how many kids do we have? That's the easier one, six and counting. So ages 17, soon to be 16, 15, 14, 13, and seven years old. Um, we actually started fostering, uh, before we got married, I started fostering. So our two daughters were, um, were our foster daughters. And when we got married, uh, they were our flower girls at our wedding, got to walk down the aisle with us. And it just happened to be the timing that we also found out we'd be able to adopt them at the same time as well. So it was a really neat way of talking to them about how God literally was bringing us together as a family. He brought them uh, a mom, now he's giving them a dad, and they would jump in and go, yeah, and God knew you needed kids. And so, <laughs> you know, instantly we went into marriage with two girls. Um, Did you already know Greg when you started fostering them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, um, we dated for a while. We, and... we dated for a long time, and <clears throat> Julie had always had a passion to uh, adopt and do foster care and um, felt like it was just time for her to go ahead and, and do it. Yeah. We had, interestingly as well, we had um, provided respite. I primarily, because um, we weren't married, but primarily I was providing respite for kids. So we'd have them, for, I'd have them for a week or a weekend to give foster parents a break. Um, and had thought a long time about whether I would consider fostering as a single person or not. I was in my 30s, just didn't know for sure if Greg and I would marry or what our future would be. Um, and in the process, I was providing respite for the foster family of our girls. 
um, and it became clear that that placement was not going to remain. And so I had some time to really pray about and consider what I take the girls on. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, we had had lots of kids. They tended to be older kids, um, uh, minorities, kids that um, Greg and I would take to the Phillies game or take to the movies. And so for us, it was kind of, even in our dating, it was a natural um, extension of, yeah, why wouldn't we want to do this? And um, we weren't, we were both counselors. We weren't afraid of kids with behavior struggles or past um, and really had a heart for kids that were hard to adopt. So we always presumed we'd have a very multicultural home. Mm-hmm. We presumed we'd have kids 13 and up uh, because we were just willing to, to work with those type of kids. And in our first year of marriage, we ended up with four little white kids under the age of five. <laughs> and you can't make that happen if you try. So right. there's just an irony in saying, here's what we feel equipped to do. Here's what we think God's calling us to do. Here's what we want to do. And then God gives us what he's going to give us, which is kind of our principle with our kids. One of the ways we've talked about it is, you know, what God brings into our family, whoever wants in our family, and we want to be open to it. We want to be wise, but that's actually a little different than how a lot of adoptive families talk. A lot of the adoption books, which I love, talk about how God um, brought you to me, or I, I went out searching for you and looking for you overseas, and And I love those stories. I think those are equally great. But one of our ways of talking to our kids is, you know, the Lord knows who he wants in our home. And we want to be open to that. And we want God to bring who he wants in our home, whether it's for a short period of time or longer, permanently or not permanently. And the sense of God's sovereignty, I think, and and how he, he places people together. And trying to give them confidence that that's part of their story. God's sovereignly ordained for them to be a part of our family. Those of you who are who are listening to this and can't see us sitting here in the room, you don't realize that I am on my hands and knees on the floor bowing down before Greg and Julie, who who on their dates were taking foster kids to the Phillies games. Yes, that's, uh, that's you know, amazing. You, you say that because this is one of the things I was thinking about um, that I wanted to, to mention. One of the things I've had a little trouble dealing with over the years is when people think that we're good people. You know, they'll say, wow, you're, you're a saint, you, you, you know, you're going to go to heaven or you, you've got your ticket or, uh, you know, that kind of idea. And I always felt uncomfortable with that and didn't really know how to respond. I just came up with the idea of saying, you know, if, if adoption looks good, it's because that's God's heart. And it's not us. We're meant to be his image bearers. We are his image bearers. We're meant to reflect his image. And God has a heart for adoption. He adopted Israel. He's adopted us and brought us together as a family. And so that reflects his image. And so I try to point away from myself to, to him when I hear those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Greg, if I can pick up on that and actually connect that back to what Julie was just saying. This, the language you guys are using of God has brought this to us. This God is, God is the one directing this process. You are very, very, uh, both of you speaking that language. In some ways, it's sort of an interesting language to use for something that's a fairly intentional process that you have to choose to be in. Uh, you know, it's not like you guys were sitting at home one day watching Netflix and suddenly four children showed up on your doorstep. Um, you're like, oh, I guess we'll take them in. God's Sometimes it feels like that. I, I can imagine. Can, can you say a little bit more about, for, just for yourselves, how, how that experience has gone. I mean, Greg, I think you maybe started to get at this earlier by saying, you know, Julie, Julie's just had a heart for this for forever. And I said, let's do it. And I wanted that to be, but how, 
Help me, help me understand that mentality yeah, for you guys. I, well, I became a Christian at 13, and it's a very powerful experience of transformation for me, of being wanted, being embraced, having a new sense of belonging, a future, a new identity. So that immediately kind of set my mind in, in the direction. And then you read in James that, you know, pure and undefiled religion is care for orphans and widows in their distress. So it was, it was not even something I actually gave a lot of thought to. I just knew that I was going to adopt. And then when I met Julie, she was a foster care social worker at the time. Um, and it wasn't much of a discussion for us either. I mean, it was a non-negotiable for both of us. We're like, hey, how do you feel about adoption? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that was it. That's <laughs> just kind of the... Well, and she liked the Phillies, but... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I didn't hold that against her. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it actually wasn't a lot of discussion for us. It was just how was it going to happen. Um, Julie was already doing respite care as being a, uh, uh, a social worker. So I knew, I knew she knew how to think about those things well, and, and her heart was uh, broad and embracing, and that was my heart too. So we never actually really said, how many kids do you want? Four to six, maybe, something like that. And that was about the extent. And we were doing, um, as Julie said, respite care. And it, it's not, you know, you hear about international adoptions, people paying a lot of money. Well, there's, there's a ton of need right here. These are children, all foster children that we had fostered to adopt, where there's potential they could go back to their family. So it was a little anxiety producing at times and trusting God's providence and that he's going to bring the children to us that he wants to have uh, in our home, like we said, with always the chance that they could have left. So mm -hmm. just letting God lead and trying to be obedient and um, love the people around us. And so um, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was the hard part about doing foster care. You know, at least with adoption, you know how it's going to end the process. Um, so there can be heartache in that as well. You hope you know, at least. Right, right. exactly. Yeah, sure. With foster care, we were intentionally taking in children that we knew the goal was for them to return back to their birth family. In an ideal world, that should happen. I mean, we, we want to want that for them. Um, but your heart gets attached, and you grieve, and you fear, and you worry, and... You want them for yourself as well, and holding all that out, saying, Lord, even then, do what's best. Um, and some of our kids we took knowing that we were moving towards adoption, but again, there's always the legal risk. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. I mean, just I'm, I'm sort of reflecting out loud here. It seems, like, it seems like part of why you are both so able to say, God has brought these kids to us. God made this family is because... You've been faithful in taking smaller steps. Uh, it's not like you started from, hey, we're a couple, and we're going to go find ourselves an adopted child in whatever country we have to go to, which, again, is wonderful. And that is, I, I don't mean to say that in any way contrasting as right. if one is good, the other is bad. It's just where you have come through the process is right. it's sort of these little steps of like, well, I'm going to do some respite care, and I'm going to do some foster. I'm in the system. I know about these kids or how this yeah. kind of thing works, even if it's not a specific child I'm thinking of. And so by taking little steps of serving, you really have ended up in places where it's like, okay, well, these kids that I'm caring for right now, oh, maybe we could actually adopt them. It's not this abstract concept of mm. let's do adoption, which is where you started, Greg, at 13. Mm. That's where, like, this is how the Lord has treated me, and I, of course this is where I'll go. Mm. Um, but that's really helpful to me to think of, I, I feel like you guys are doing that dance that's the whole Christian life, right? Of like, God is utterly in control, and we respond to that in faithfulness little by little, not knowing where it's going to land. We, right. How many times do you start out in ministry or parenting or anything being like, oh, I know exactly where this will land in 10 years? Like, yep. never, you know? Mm -hmm. And and that 
And yet in each step when there is that responsiveness to what God is doing around you, um, because you have put yourself in the way of his, of, of his giving you that opportunity, that, that, that's yeah. interesting. I haven't thought about easing one's way into it in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, and our story we don't hold out as the the model for how everybody's story should be. And that's true with every family, but even with adoption, some people are called to international or to domestic or to special needs and things that I would feel ill-equipped to deal with. Others, God gives them a heart to do that. So our story is simply that. It's just our story um, and how we learn to navigate it and trust God in the midst of it. Yeah, kind of blooming where you're planted is how I like to say it. Mm. Just seeking to be faithful. So we went into marriage with two girls. Within the first year of marriage, we were approached with two little biological brothers. So in our first year of marriage, we had four children. Um, and then... And a mortgage and yeah, dogs. And yeah. <laughs> Full-time ministry work. Yeah. Um, and at that point, we, we probably thought we were done, but we were still providing respite and doing fostering. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how a majority of our, our kids came to us. And we've had kids come and go. Um, we've had some heartbreaks of saying goodbye to little ones and um, and just continued to say, all right, well, God knows who's going to be in our home. Mm-hmm. And probably about two years ago, we, we took on a 16-year-old teenager, which is probably one of the things we said we would never do. Yeah, and that's here's true. Lord Broaden. That's exactly right. <laughs> and we love him. He's, he's great. We're so glad he's a part of our, our family. But there's probably a few things in life we've said never to, and those seem to always come to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everybody says it, right? Never say never. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, will you guys say a little bit? I, I, you, this has come from a couple different angles now, but the, just the, the heartache, the uncertainty, how, how have you guys dealt with that? And how have you dealt with that with your kids? Um, that, that to me, I mean, I hear you guys tell your story and I'm just, you know, getting the summary version here today, but I can't, it's really hard for me to get my own mind around the level of vulnerability that you guys have chosen to invite into your lives and into your home both by having the uncertainty of the fostering issue and, and then just adopted children, by, by definition, are, are coming to the table with serious sense of loss and, and challenge. How, how have you guys dealt with that? How have you helped your kids deal with that? One way has been with our kids always being honest. Our, our um, strong belief is this is God's story for them. It's God's story for us, but it's God's story for them. And so we never presume shame in any part of their story. Um, It's God's story to tell. There's wisdom in how we retell their story to them. There's developmental appropriateness to details they know and don't know, but we never presume we need to hide their story for them. And in doing that, there's a lot more confidence to say, yeah, there's hard there's hard chapters of your story, but God knows that, and He's redeeming all of it. And not one piece will be lost. Not one piece of the story is unimportant. Um, and so again, it's we hold the responsibility of pointing them to the Lord in the midst of their story. That the author of their story knows what He's doing. So the emphasis isn't in the hard things of their story or trying to paint over them like there weren't any hard things. It's saying God knows, um, and that's, that's encouraged me, too, as much as I've had to say it to them. It, 
It helps me to remember, Lord, you are the author of our story. You know what we need, so help me to trust you. And though this hurts, and I think my heart will never recover if you take this child from us, help me to trust that you are good. Yeah, and in some ways, it's no different than any family. You know, God brings natural children into your family, and they have struggles, or, or they don't. You know, some are gifted in some ways, some struggle in some other ways, and you don't know the future, and you're just called to love them and show them the need for, for Christ and point them to Him as their Savior, and yeah. So I have to confess, I think there are multiple times when we didn't know if we'd be able to adopt our little guy, Connor, he's our youngest, and I'd pray and I'd feel the frustration of what parent has to worry about this child being taken from them and how hard that was as a, a foster parent potentially moving toward adopting to think I've fallen in love with this little one and God could take him from me. Um, that feels so unfair. No, there, there, yeah, I mean, but also there's people who've lost children who continue to struggle with that exact same kind of fear. You know, can, how, how would I survive should I, this child may not be here, be taken from me? I mean, I feel like the, the, the conviction in my own heart, just hearing the way you guys are processing this, as I'm processing it with you here today, it's just there is this false dichotomy that's so easy to live with as if, oh, adoption is full of risk and vulnerability and hardship and challenge, but you know, if you just keep your safe little family over here that's, you know, biological and, and so on and so forth, then then you can avoid heartache and whatever. And and on some level, there is a practical, common sense reality to the fact that there are struggles you don't have to deal with, right? Like when when you're sitting there and you fall in love with this child, but you do not have He's literally the right not mine. To, <laughs> to continue to be his parent unless it's granted to you. Like that's a, that is a inherently scary place to live. But... Ultimately, that is no different than what any of us live with every day, like you said, Greg. It's just like we live, every one of us, our children are not our own. And, and that, is, that is our greatest hope, <laughs> even though it is a source of just enormous fear uh, to realize our kids, they are the Lord's. And whether they're biological children, adopted children, foster children, children in function rather than children formally, uh, children uh, whom we have lost to, to death or miscarriage. I mean, it, the list goes on of all the different ways that, that you can interact with, with those you would consider your children. But, but how true and how right what you guys are highlighting, just this is not ours. We don't own them. I feel like you guys have been forced to live with that at a much more direct level than most parents probably have to. And, uh, and I just so appreciate the challenge of that to my own heart today of... Will I live as if my children truly are a gift to me to which I do not have a right? Um, especially at 2 a.m. when you're up with them and they're sick and they're <laughs> fussing and whining. You know, am I going to treat this child as, as a gift and it's a privilege to get to be, to have this child in our family that the Lord has constructed? That is, uh, you're rearranging my mental furniture today and I really appreciate it. Um, Greg, would you be willing to just... Um, Pray for your family and for all those who are listening in as they think about their own family in light of the conversation. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all this discussion. I pray that we would consciously live in the way that Alistair was uh, just saying, that we remember that more and more for we forget and we get caught by our own agendas for what we want our family to look like and what we want to happen. But may we all uh, remember that truly we're 
we're called to work ourselves out of a job as a parent to help our children be self-aware and to know their need uh, of you and uh, look to you for uh, life. So as, uh, as this information goes forth, I pray it would be a blessing to people and come to know you more deeply as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Picking a resource to offer as a follow-up to today's episode was easy. We just did a panel on adoption with four couples at CCEF who have all adopted. The panel was at our national conference. And it was, from my perspective, the best panel we have ever had at a conference. You can download the whole panel for free at our website, ccef.org slash podcast, right next to the link to the link for today's show. It'll be free till our next episode gets posted. And if today's show, or any show, made you want to get in touch with us with questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at podcast at ccef.org. Till next time, blessings. Blessings.